Good morning. Nice to see all of you here at GP. Of course, it's Independence Day, so exercising our religious freedom seems especially appropriate. Also, though, I think that remembering and lamenting the people and lands and freedoms of others that were lost in the processes leading to revolution seems appropriate, too. We're worshiping today on Kumyai territory, and I believe it's right to acknowledge their earlier existence and prior rights in the midst of our celebration. Let me pray then, and of course you're free to join me or not. Lord God, we recognize the original inhabitants of this land, people you loved and love. Forgive us our trespasses against our neighbors, but lead us to repair and reconciliation in accordance with your ways, and compel us to do better in your name. Amen. Now, whatever your mindset or experience is with American independence, we do have freedom and submission and surrender to talk about today. But it's all in a spiritual sense. As a little disclaimer, though, while Peter is writing about the non-physical stuff of submission, for example, the language around the text is no less violence. We'll hear that in the metaphors. So let's start. I'm going to run us through the whole text for today in one translation, and I'll break it down in another to broaden our sense of the possible terms that apply to this section. So here we go. This is English Standard Version. This is 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, now for the breakdown. This time it's New Living Translation. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Oh, that's a lot of talk about suffering again, isn't it? Peter has a kind of a real linguistic theme going on lately, if you've been tracking with us. And honestly, I almost hate to say the word again because of what that can well up in us. But please know that none of this is going to be about just taking whatever life throws at us or anything like that. It is not about being tough or strong and silent in the face of adversity. Nothing like that. 
in this whole section, Peter is just explaining to Christ followers that there is a certain way of living for God, of respecting and being responsible to God's grace. And that way requires us to put an end to the way we have lived for ourselves, an end to our habit of choosing carnal pleasures instead of selecting the way of salvation. Peter is making the case that Christ suffered physically in his body to break the hold that sin had on us. Jesus literally endured the cross. So Peter says, let's be finished with sin then. And he suggests that for us to live freely for Christ, our former nature must die through self-denial. And that's the part that might hurt a bit. We have to let our tendency toward whatever tempts us suffer death in us. But what are those tempting things? I'm glad you asked. We'll look at verses 2 and 3 again, and I'll highlight a few things. So here we go. It's immorality, lust, feasting and drunkenness, wild parties, terrible worship of idols. Well, that's a few things, but it's not an exhaustive list, right? I mean, I think we can probably personalize that list with whatever debauchery or distraction tempts us, and the passage would convey the same meaning, maybe even more so for us. So feel free to fill in the blanks. And in the same way that we get that partial list of offenses— This verse mentions idol worship in this really broad sense, too. And I suppose that's because you are probably the only person who knows what idol worship means in your case. And for that reason, we might each have a little processing to do here. First, you have to identify those things that have captured your heart and mind and finances and time in ways that exceed your attention toward God. Now, maybe something came to mind immediately. Don't dismiss that image because it's probably hard truth just popping up like, hey, this is the thing you love more than Jesus. Now, if that happened, sit with that. Maybe focus on that as your opposition, your enemy to God's peace and freedom. So something or things come to mind and you name them, and then you have to own the fact that those things are your idols and your efforts toward those idols are your worship practice. Now I get that might be uncomfortable to hear, but that's okay. Let it bother you. In this text, Peter calls those practices of ours terrible or lawless because they are representative of the godlessness that humans practice when they operate outside of the way of life that marks a complete surrender to Christ and the will of God. Peter also calls those practices terrible or lawless because any and all idols that we offer ourselves to compete directly with the living God. And our engagement with those idols is consuming and demanding to such an extent that when our hearts and minds and bodies are occupied with them, we neglect Christ and his mission. So Peter says, stop that tendency, suppress it, end it. And his primary argument is super compelling. He says, Jesus died to break sin's grip on you. So don't return to sin. And Peter admits it might hurt 
to kill that natural impulse, to shut down those old desires, but Christ following demands it. God's wholehearted jealousy for you requires it. Okay, so maybe now we've thought of some competing allegiances or behaviors in us that we'd need to die if we go all in for Jesus. And now we're wondering, how could it hurt to give up those things? Oh, well, because of this in verse 4. Peter says, Your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. Slander hurts. Yeah, it is rough to lose friends or acquaintances who don't enjoy your concrete morality rooted in faith or your sobriety or your new distaste for the good old times. And yes, if you've ever given up a bad habit or done the hard work of breaking an addiction or breaking the bonds of some destructive or unhealthful behavior, that can be brutal. Those are all painful processes. Peter doesn't deny that. He just says, very frankly, something like this. If you're going to follow Christ, you will feel what it is to be severed from your old self. But let that old corruption die anyway. Gut out that process so that the love of Christ can move through your purified nature. And when you're remade in that divine way, when you are, are repurposed, then you can be useful to his mission to change the world in his image in love. But there is recognition here that living in that way, dying to your old self, is a choice. Worship of idols, worship of yourself, worship of Christ are all independent, mutually exclusive choices. Peter knew that. And I think that in light of those three paths, Peter is simply reminding followers of this unique cost to the way of Christ. Again, Jesus paid the ultimate price in his person, and followers must pay a token of the same, but in their natures, not in their person. So I want to talk and stop and talk for just a minute about that cost and the process. We're talking about what it would take to surrender ourselves to the way of Christ, which requires the death of our basest human nature. And one question might be, will it be easy? I don't know. Probably not, or Peter wouldn't be writing to all the churches about it. This is Teddy Roosevelt's opinion, if it helps at all. He says, nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, difficulty. That's not scripture. I'm trying to decide if it's apropos. Does it sound like a truism? I think it's a bit human to say that. But I also know that it's a very human thing to look for easy ways to accomplish difficult tasks. I heard a joke this week. It's probably a terrible choice, given our context, so I'm just going to trust you with it, and you all know how to contact me, <laughs> or Nate. So there's this guy. He wants to be the greatest guitar player in the world, so he decides, naturally, to sell his soul to the devil, to just trade for being the best guitar player. 
So the guy goes to this crossroad, does whatever he's going to do. Devil shows up, naturally. I don't know how that works. Uh, they do the deal, shake hands, sign the contract, whatever. So then the guy says, all right, what do we do now? Just hit the clubs, take a road trip. And the devil says, well, I thought we would start by meeting here next Monday. And every Monday after that, I'll teach you a few chords. But you're going to have to practice. Justice got that. He's a guitar player. But all that's to say this. In answer to that question, I don't think that wrestling your nature into submission will necessarily be easy. But Peter is telling believers it's necessary. And it's an appropriate response to Christ committing himself to us first. And here's a thought to go along with that uh, for anyone who is in the military, military background, maybe just for people who love escape rooms and probably for stubbornly self-sufficient people too. These are articles two and three of the U.S. Military Code of Conduct, and they state this in part. I will never surrender of my own free will. If I am captured, I will continue to resist by all means available. I will make every effort to escape and to aid others to escape. Now, I learned these articles in the 80s. I've been out of the Marine Corps since the early 90s, but this code is still emblazoned in my memory. And this statement conflicts with everything that I believe about willfully surrendering myself to the way of Christ. But I prefer Jesus. That training that's in my head is codified for the armed forces and does not apply in this instance. Willful surrender of myself is required to fully follow Jesus. I surrender. No shame. And as for the concept of capture, well, I'm on the side of the Apostle Paul who wrote this about the mentality of Christ-likeness. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In the cause of Christ, as agents of his mission, we are meant to be people of the word. But to be so and to remain so, our minds must be actively engaged and acting according to his wisdom. And like the act of surrender, that also takes intentional work. To that end, maybe this could be our prayer. God, please, through the strength of your word, through the argument of the gospel, by the very life of Christ, compel me by your Holy Spirit. Enable me to take my every thought captive in full obedience to you. Let my effort very nearly match what you have done for me. Amen. And clearly, that work would entail knowledge of, study of, and practice of the words and ways of Jesus. Maybe our motto could be, crack a Bible, copy Jesus. That's my short version. But Peter left a better, a more articulate list in verses 7 through 11. He said, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Continue to show deep love for each other. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. 
Use your spiritual gifts well to serve one another. Speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Help with all the strength and energy that God supplies. And that list brings us to a possible question too. Do I have to? No. Free agency says you don't have to cooperate with Christ, but there are consequences to acting either for or against Jesus. And Peter addresses that here, and he makes our responsibility toward Christ imperative in at least two ways. First, he says this, the end of all things is at hand. That's it. Peter just kind of like leaves that there. Just a friendly reminder that Jesus is coming back and he will judge humanity. And then he adds this about the judgment of those who freely choose a way that opposes Christ. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, Peter only mentions one side of judgment here. But to be fair, near as we know, at the end of all things, we will all stand before the God of heaven and earth, and we will account for our lives. But scripture also tells us that in this life, some people will have respected the sacrifice of Christ who endured the cross in order to bring an end to the corrupting power of sin over human nature and to offer a gracious alternative, which is freedom from the entanglements of our meanest desires. The respect those people had will be shown in their response to Christ, which will have been that they laid their nature on the altar of God to be entirely consumed like it was a burnt offering. And afterward, they will have taken on and worn the mantle of Christ's likeness, his way, a new and transformed nature. And those people will have Christ as their advocate when they stand before God, and they will be credited with his righteousness, not their own. But their lives will have proved their association in Christ during their lifetimes. They will have been earnest in prayer, active in love, generous with tangibles, and servants at their core. On the other hand, it seems that those who knew the sacrifice of Christ and rejected his ways for the sake of themselves should expect to face judgment by themselves. I have no confidence that their idols will stand up for them. So that brings us to the end of the text and maybe to just one more question. How then can I trade in my old nature? Well, I can think of at least two ways, lucha libre or communion. We'll see if we've got that right in Annie. That's one way. And I love that the guy's hat actually says habit in the middle of that. That's good times. But it's also um, a bit of a visual that if you're going to combat your old self by yourself, prepare for a relentless battle. And maybe tag team opposition, and good luck with that. Or choose the altar. Fully sacrifice your old self. Lay down your former nature and let the Spirit of Christ take hold. Leave your habits, 
turn and go a new way. Then commune with Christ. Be with him. Intentionally, purposefully, daily, let him enable your love. And remember, being great at that, even being good at that, is going to take practice. So today we're going to end with communion. This altar is set up so that the Lord's table is visible and present for us today. Not that it's magical, but so that it's immediately accessible here and now to take hold of God's grace. And we do trust that God is here and present in our thanksgiving to him. Christ set this table with his whole self. His body was broken for us. His whole self was given to us. He calls us to remember him here. And this meal represents the whole of Peter's argument today, which is this. Christ gave himself to be taken up in us. So we ought to participate in him, to take up his nature. So as you come forward today, if you do, to take the bread and the juice, my prayer is that we will lay down any remnants of our old selves here to be raised up in Christ, empowered to walk in better ways for the sake of the whole world. So come to the altar freely if you will. Submit your nature and your habits as needs must, prayerfully and completely. And take this remembrance of Christ respectfully, being transformed by his grace in the process. Come as you will. As you leave here today, diligently practice the way of Christ in the very likeness of the one who gives you purpose in love and through love. And rejoice in knowing that you never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. sing no other name Jesus Jesus